Welcome to the Autistic Mystic. My name is Jeff. I am the Autistic Mystic. And today I am talking to the wonderful Reverend Brooke Scott, who I owe an apology to because this episode was recorded so long ago that she was not yet a reverend. And now she's the pastor of a whole ass church called Church on Main. And she has had articles written about her and how radically inclusive her church is. Uh, and she's amazing and super smart. You may recognize her from her appearances on the TLDR Bible Show podcast, where she says really smart things. And I learn a lot from listening to those episodes. And I learned a lot from this conversation. We talk about Burke's call to ministry and what it's like coming out of evangelical spaces into more queer inclusive faiths and we bond a little bit over our mutually deceased parents which is you know a crappy club to belong to but hey that's where we're at and uh, we talk about why cheap Christian platitudes are not helpful for the grieving process or for healing and we talk about why you should listen to marginalized voices for three goddamn seconds Um, anyway so there's a lot in this episode Uh, we may as we'll get into it. So sit back, grab your noise-canceling headphones, and prepare for this week's info dump. Here's How to Listen for Three Goddamn Seconds with Reverend Brooke Scott. Do you stim when you worship? Tick when you pray? Info dump theology, I think you might be gay. The autistic mystic, we're talking about stuff you probably Welcome to the Autistic Mystic. Um, this is, uh, it's been a fun experiment so far, uh, getting to talk to all sorts of different people. I found you on Twitter like two weeks ago, I think, um, yeah. and um, liked a bunch of your tweets. And then you did an event with a friend of mine, um, Billy Klutz, mm-hmm. uh, where you guys were querying the Bible. And um, I, wanted to get to know you a little more because that seemed fun i watched part of the video that was awesome and yeah so um tell me a little bit about um you're you're not you're not in pastoral ministry yet but you are in the ordination process how did you um come to how did you come to respond to the call like that it's yeah it's an interesting story um yeah so i'm i'm currently at the last stage of ordination in the Presbyterian church, which is that I am uh, what they call certified and ready to receive a call, which means that I, I jumped through all the hoops. I have been approved by my ordination committee and the Presbyterians ordain you into a specific job. So right now I'm job hunting um, for a pastoral position and hoping or something to be a good fit this right. summer. Nice. Um, so yeah, uh, the way I came into this call, I it's a weird story, I guess. Um, I the way I've been describing it lately is that when I was about 12 or 13, I really realized that I had a passion for spiritual things, I was right. very interested in spiritual things. My family was somewhat Baptist Christian but the way I kind of describe it is like you know um, there are a lot of ministers in my family I've been learning a lot of history in the Baptist church Mm. Um, but once it got to my parents they kind of were like a little bit over church a little bit suspicious of church a little bit like 
we're spiritual but not religious kind of thing so that was actually my upbringing and so like we would go to church with some of our other relatives um you know for holidays or events or whatever Mm -hmm. and so I didn't really learn the bible from my parents or go to Sunday school or anything like that so really when I was about 12 I just remember being really dissatisfied and really Mm -hmm. just having a lot of questions we would go to church and we would go on occasion and I would be confused and I wouldn't know what was happening. And I just really wanted to. Um, <laughs> and I just, you know, knew pieces like small pieces of the Bible and I didn't really understand it. And so the way I describe my call is my parents weren't able to answer my questions. And so I kept asking questions and I kept knocking on doors until I got answers. Right. And I knew pretty early um, once I begged my parents to take me to church and I got involved with a youth group and I really, you know, got my own Bible and started to study it. I know not something that 12 year olds do, but um, once I did that, I realized pretty quickly that I was gifted in it and that Mm. I was, you know, interested in it. Um, So I knew kind of pretty early that I wanted to go to seminary, that I wanted to get some kind of education around all of this and like some kind of training around this right um my first introduction to the church was our pretty conservative baptist church and so it really was sort of a place that nurtured me and a place that made me fall in love with this stuff and like i have changed so much since then right so, (laughs) so like it was hard to see um it was hard to see how the call would, uh, would evolve and change, but it has right. been there since, since really young. Very cool. So, yeah, yeah. I had, I had a, uh, not a similar experience. Um, like, I, I mean, I've known I wanted to be a pastor for a long time and I fought it for a long time, but I kind yeah. of <laughs> assumed I was like the odd one out in my family. Everyone else in my family went into like STEM, like the, everyone's either a doctor or a nurse or an engineer in my family or like my brother's like a nuclear technician. I don't even know what he does. Um, it's too, it's above my pay grade. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but then I had to do like this, like family history project um, for, for something. And like, I started digging into my family's history and it turns out like two generations back, like, so for the last two generations, everyone's been a doctor or an engineer before that everyone was pastors and I was like I was I was like how how did I not know about this and like yeah I just kind of always assumed I was the I was the black sheep of the family because like went into ministry instead of science and and then it turns out that everyone else before that is uh yeah yeah. but um yeah so what what's so you, you were mentioning like you your first exposure then was like in the more conservative um church when did you know that you were a queer person um actually pretty recently Um, okay I so it's interesting because I think now looking back I can see I can see that it was always there um but yeah I have been out for about a year and a half now okay I I I realized I was queer I think about my second or third year of seminary Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah I 
it, it was a weird experience. I really, before then, don't think I had any idea at all. Like, mm. I, <laughs> I really, <laughs> and I, I think that that's a weird part. I, I talked about this on something I did recently too, where my my experience with queerness has mostly been this this theme of kind of erasure and invisibility mm. because, like, I think it took me a while because I just didn't really have any examples of like bisexuality specifically I feel right. like everybody I knew was either gay or straight mm-hmm. and like I had I had understanding of that but I didn't have an understanding of like when I was in high school and I would see girls like kiss girls and then kiss a guy it was it was a fun thing it was like a right a playful thing it was like a thing you did it never occurred to me that that could be its own identity and who knows mm. where those people were at at that time and right. like, what those actions meant to them but I never saw like being attracted to multiple genders as like its own identity and its own orientation it, it right like a phase or a behavior that you did sometimes but not really yeah a- and like I don't know how how old you are uh, when I was in high school um like late 90s early 2000s um bi erasure was was a thing like people were like you, people didn't straight people didn't believe in bisexuals and gay people didn't believe in bisexuals because like the gay people were like you're just like you're just curious like you're either gay or you're straight and like and so there was like i i identified as bi um probably around like 16 or 17 um and I've since changed the label uh, because I, I, I have more terminology now. I know more things and, and know more things about myself. Um, but like, but yeah, but there was, there was this like sense of like, like, oh, bi people are just pretending and they're just yeah. doing it for clout or whatever it is. And, and I'm like, what clout? I'm like, no one accepts me. <laughs> wow, everyone hates me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, I, it, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, on the one hand, I didn't really have any examples of people who were bi. On the other hand, like coming out has been this weird thing where like, like you said, even in the queer community, um, it sometimes still is not really taken seriously. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, sometimes there's still stigma around like queer women who date men, and like, right, really like, you know, queer enough and all these kinds of things. So I really have had to surround myself with people that are like-minded in whatever community I'm in, just because mm-hmm. like, I know that we all are are really working at this thing. And um, and it, it could be frustrating to feel like you always have to defend yourself. So I just feel like right. whatever community I'm in, I just have to be in places where like, I can be my full self. And um, that's just be, been really important to me. Um, and like I said, I, you know, I spent some time in the conservative ba- Baptist, black church tradition I also spent a lot of time in the white evangelical like church world and that was all around the same time and when I say a long time I really mean like a little bit of middle school and like all of high school so like a couple years where I was like really entrenched in that right which at the time like when you're in middle school and high school a few few years a few years is most of your life so (laughs) and so I mean I have this weird relationship with that part of my life because it really in some ways was a refuge for me like I I can see that I was going through things at that time going through things at home 
where like having Christian community was really important and like having being able to make meaning and purpose was really important. And at the same time, especially when it came to sexuality, I was like being harmed in another way, you know, right. <laughs> by that community. So it was just right. kind of like, yeah, in some ways, like I do need this and I'm going to have to heal from a lot of these ideas later. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, for sure. And like, um, I, I had like, when you come out and, and when you've been in conservative spaces, like I, I, I grew up conservative evangelical um, and then went like non-denominational. My big act of teenage rebellion was going to a Baptist church. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> uh, but, um, but like coming out of those spaces that are non-affirming and, and then coming out, uh, like you do have to deal with the fact that a lot of the people who were your spiritual mentors or people you looked up to in the church are now likely not going to accept you. Um, and like, I, I, I messaged, uh, do you know who Carlos Whitaker is? Um, he's like, he was a worship leader at a mega church for a while. And now he kind of does like, uh, preaching and music and, but mostly like sort of just motivational, um, instagram stuff Um, but but he like he was a person i followed for a long time he used to have a blog called ragamuffin soul uh and like he would talk um about being a person of color in the church and like letting his ego get in the way and like he's had a few ups and downs in his marriage that have been very public because of his public persona Mm -hmm. but he posted a thing about the pulse the anniversary of the pulse massacre Mm -hmm. um and like was like message your queer friends because they're hurting and like I just messaged him I was like hey I don't like know where you stand on the issue as a whole but I wanted to thank you for acknowledging queer people as being humans because I'm like when you come out in the church you don't know if like all these people that you once looked up to consider you a human anymore right like yeah I and like my story is so different than so many other people you know like when Mm -hmm. I was in those conservative spaces I had no idea I was queer I I couldn't access it they didn't Hmm. I didn't have a framework that allowed me to access it you know because because it was just so repressed and so frowned upon and then by the time I came out my theology had changed so much that like I had already weeded out those people and like my surrounded myself with people who were already queer or allies right so I I never had this this story of like being thrown out of my church or or being thrown out of my family because it was just either I didn't know or I finally knew and everyone else was queer too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like it was just this really weird thing. Of course, I do kind of remember like being in conservative spaces and they would make you like repent of things. And I remember talking about like some of my crushes that I had on girls or like times I had girls or whatever. And I would be like, God, heal me from like my homosexuality or whatever. I I do have some memory of that, but it wasn't as big of a thing because I could remain hidden then. Right. Um, And so I, yeah, I do have some memory of that ridiculousness, but yeah, yeah, I just, it, it has just been like, depending on what chapter of my life you ask about, um, but yeah, I don't have a story of being in those circles and, and really which, even alone. Which I'm, is the goal, right? Like that is yeah. a good sign. 
yeah. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> yeah. like it's like that's like when people are like oh i feel bad because i don't have like this testimony for evangelism where i was addicted to drugs and and then right. you know, showed up and and now i'm healed like yeah. like no no no. the goal is that you don't have a hard life and like the and are close to god anyways yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i feel like you know i i'm just kind of like i was able to blend in you know for a little while right <laughs> a little while i think eventually you know you realize things but yeah i i was just able to blend in and and when i was in that circle i was in high school and the only thing i cared about in high school was fitting in so like right. <laughs> so whether that was church whether that was school whether that was you know being outside um with peers like that's all that ever mattered and so i wasn't going to do anything with anyone that would have put me outside of the lines right um so even when i look back on uh feelings i had that could be considered crushes like i wasn't gonna allow myself to do anything that would ostracize myself um so yeah like i said there's a lot of erasure and a lot of invisibility and so i feel like now at this point i've um gone to the opposite extreme where like yeah. i'm very out and very open and very loud and very much feel like I'm reclaiming myself and trying to make up for lost time. I'm like, let's meet people. Yeah. Fun. Let's just go with it. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Making up for lost time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What, um, what, what changed your theology? Um, if it was, cause a lot of people, wrestle with their queerness and then study study the scriptures like for me i like i was in i'm in a straight presenting marriage we could have hidden in the conservative church for the rest of our lives um mm -hmm. uh and and been relatively happy i'm much happier now that i've come out um, but yeah, like but like yeah. it would have been possible to hide in the in the conservative church um and it was me sort of learning deeper truths about scripture and like studying scripture more deeply with this thing in the back of my mind because i've had a lot of like i was a youth pastor i had a lot of students come out to me um and never really known how to um support them in a effective healthy way because i'm like well i'm queer but i'm suppressing my queerness so that i can exist in this space and I want them to be able to exist in this space, but I don't want them to have to suppress their queerness. So like, it was wow. really like hoping, there was some hope on my part. Like I do say like, I'm like, well, like I, I scripture changed my mind on the issue. It wasn't like yeah. my desire to do gay stuff. It was like scripture changed my mind on the issue, but there was a desire to be able to minister to the LGBTQ community um, from a spiritual standpoint without, like condemning them or making them feel other uh what what was it for you that like that changed your theology and gave you the space to be able to come out with less trauma <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question and i do think there is some trauma but i think it was right. less than that. um yeah but yeah no that's a good question um i i i guess it sort of has two dimensions to it it has sort of like the academic dimension and then mm -hmm. it has the personal emotional dimension and 
Um, really, I would say college was really when it started for me academically because I had mm -hmm. already been studying the Bible um, before then. And then I went to college and I really wanted to go to a Christian college because evangelical. And <laughs> there was one, um, I went to Eastern University, which is a liberal arts Christian college outside of Philadelphia, um, where I'm okay. and it was a Christian college, but much more liberal than I expected. I went there because mm. I knew it was Christian and because my mom had gone there. And okay. so we would always get like mail from them. And so I was just like, let me just go with that. And it's close to home. Um, but it was way more liberal than I expected. I have memory of like my first semester being way freaked out because I was like, these people vote Democrat. They curse. They like don't care about stuff that I thought we were supposed to care about. <laughs> my first semester, I remember being really freaked out, but at the same time, really intrigued because I realized that I trusted these people. And it was one of my first times like really understanding what community was. And right. I was loved really well by those people. And so it was just kind of like, let me just go with it. Let me just trust them and see where this goes always been very curious um and I would say it was in the context of loving community people who I trusted people who loved me that I realized like I can go there with them like I right. can I can believe them I can see that they love Jesus and they're also embracing some of these more progressive ideas and so I would say that once I really felt safe like all the theology just fell into place like it right. was very easy for me to change my mind about a lot of things because I just never knew that I could be Christian and think differently. Right. Um, and so once I had examples of it around me, like it was pretty easy within the first year. Um, I, it was rapid change and like people, um, people sometimes describe, I don't know, like deconstruction is like a sexy word right now, but like, people kind of describe that this deconstruction of faith as like um as like dominoes you know like mm -hmm. one, one piece falls and then the whole rest of it falls <laughs> like right. you change your mind about one thing and then everything um and I would say that was true for me <laughs> like <laughs> I remember like a big thing that I just could not get through was the inerrancy of scripture you know mm. Um, that was like a big thing that was like grilled into me was like, the Bible was perfect. Everything it says, you know, is what God wants it to say. And like, we need to follow this thing, like every part of it and realizing that the Bible could like have mistakes and be wrong about things. Like that was like, really, I think the first domino and then, and that inerrancy else, is like super it's new yeah. like it's it's like it's fairly new in terms of like because i was the same way like i was brought up and like it was just like yeah the bible's 100 percent true you got to believe it yep. and and like going back to like the early church fathers like they they did take the bible seriously mm -hmm. um but a lot of them and like in like the the second temple judaism context like there is room for the scripture to have different meanings for a few different people as long as you kind of fall in the same circle of god is good <laughs> like <laughs> exactly. Exactly. love god love your neighbor like as long as that's the ballpark you're in there's there's room for disagreement exactly. yeah sorry i interrupted you though no no I, that's that's exactly what it is and that's why it became easy for me to 
to shed everything else because so much mm-hmm. on like so much hinges on what kind of authority do we give to the Bible? And right. once it had a different kind of authority, um, it became a lot easier to be flexible with my beliefs. Um, and so, yeah, I started to just to study and to be open. And so academically, it was very easy for me to start connecting my faith to social justice and to mm. issues. Um, some of the first things I started doing, cause I, I have a social work background. Um, one of the first things I started doing was work in homelessness um, mm. and not just um, working in like soup kitchens and stuff. I did some volunteering like that, but also really examining like poverty, you know, like really right. analyzing it um, and connecting that to my faith, I think was really important and having important conversations about income inequality those weren't things that like we were talking about in youth group um right and i would also say that college was the time where i really like this is gonna sound weird but i will flesh it out like it was the time where i realized i was black like okay yeah because i you know because it's academia and because you stand out more and and most of my community looked like me back at home. And I went to school a half hour away from where I grew up. Right. But, but even in that space, um, I suddenly was a minority in a different way. And um, so I, so, so blackness took on a politic that it never had before. Right. Um, and so like racial justice also became a big part of how I articulated faith and, and things like that. And I started to advocate for things concerning black people and um and and black culture and um yeah just really realized that like the rest of the world was not like my little you know my area um I grew up in a very um diverse like lots of brown people like right outside of Philadelphia like Philadelphia is like right down the road um right and so yeah, we were all brown and black and mostly like working class parents. Mm-hmm. And so coming to undergrad where I was at a Christian school and most of the people were white, you know, really challenged my faith and really challenged kind of like the color blindness of the church right. that I had been taught. Um, so yeah, advocacy and justice oriented faith became a big thing for me. Yeah. Um, And then I think the emotional part of it was just that like the things that I learned in the conservative church just stopped making sense to my personal life. Like, yes, like (laughs) resonates with me. (laughs) Yeah. Like when I was um, my first year of college, I ended up losing my mom um, Mm. pretty suddenly and like pretty traumatically. And what they told me was shitty. Like what their teachings, what their teachings around illness and suffering yeah, led yeah. me was not helpful. You know, right. um, the the tools and the framework that they had given me for that situation was God is doing this to us. God like brings cancer to people. God is punishing us. Yeah. And 
God is going to heal us and God has to heal us because if you believed hard enough, then he would. Yeah. 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 And if you believe, then God is going to do it and God is going to make it work for you. Um, and, and it, and it threw me into this nuance that like, I did not have space for before. Um, where I was like, I believe God is here. I believe God is with us, but like the explanations I've been told doesn't make sense. Not right. even this happened for a reason makes sense. I think that this yeah. is useless and it's random. And I think that the world is like full of fuckery. And I don't think we have to find a reason here. I think right. it's okay that like this was a senseless disease. Yeah. Um, and a senseless death and, and, and that somehow God is showing up in the people that are, that are caring for us right now, but, Mm -hmm. but not that God brought this on. Right. And that God mourns with us and grieves with us through that process. Yeah. When I lost my dad, like when it became clear that like he was not going to recover, Mm -hmm. uh, my spouse was kind of like, what do you need right now? And I was like, I need someone to run interference between me and church people trying to tell me stupid platitudes. <laughs> yes. Amen. Because <laughs> yes. I was just like, I don't want to hear that like heaven just needed another angel. That's a oh. stupid thing to say. I don't want to hear that everything happens for a reason. I want to hear that, man, that sucks. I'm sorry. That's the only yeah. thing I need to hear is like, man, that sucks. I'm sorry. I don't need to, it doesn't need to feel good. My dad dying doesn't need to feel good. You don't need to make it feel good. <laughs> yes. I people always would tell me to like immediately after she died too. like the right. people would be like, she's watching over you. And I'm like, okay, I guess whatever that means she was doing that here (laughs) more effectively but also I want her here like that doesn't make sense to me and it still doesn't always make sense to me when people say things like that I mean it's been it's been several years now so um I do find some comfort in like the thought that our ancestors especially are with us Mm -hmm. um and we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, but it took it took years to get there. Yeah. You tell me that the week of, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like oh, yeah, so, no, for yeah. sure. I just yeah. So the experiential part of faith, like it just stopped making sense. It it actually was something that was harmful to me. I was like, if I if I'm gonna heal from this, I need to let go of this idea that like we did something wrong to bring this on or that, you know, something we didn't pray the right prayer, you know, like I have to let go of that. Um, This world that is just so black and white just didn't, just wasn't anymore. And so, and so to have, to have a tragedy like that happen while I was also being challenged intellectually, was just Mm. like perfect storm of, Oh, I'm leaving this shit behind. (laughs) Like that is in the rear view. Like, So, I mean, like I said, that first year of college, it was like complete transformation. Right. So, and then just up from there. Um, And I I really enjoyed my undergrad. I think um, I've been talking about this to people a lot recently. I I would describe my undergrad experience as exactly what I needed at the time. Mm -hmm. It is what helped me develop a love for social justice it is what helped me develop a progressive faith 
And it did that so well <laughs> that now I look back and I'm like, oh, y'all are so conservative. Gosh. <laughs> um, it did that so well. <laughs> that is, that is like, yeah, like my school, I went to um, uh, Tyndale uh, here in Toronto. Um, and okay. I always joke that there's two types of people who come out of Toronto. Uh, John Piper Theo bros. <laughs> and the queerest queers who ever queered <laughs> like <laughs> like you go to Tyndale and either you come out like more conservative than ever or you go to Tyndale and you're like what even is religion and faith in god and like <laughs> I love that. um but yeah like it's uh what i the biggest thing i learned at Tyndale was how to question and how to research and so because like so now i'm like like anytime i have a question about the bible i'm like well i know how to find this out now and that's like super dangerous for my conservative upbringing <laughs> because it's yeah. just like like the information is all out there and any question i've had people 10 times smarter than me have already asked and already answered so i'm like yep so. yep yeah no it's it's a weird it's a weird experience but yeah I am I am grateful for it it's a big part of my formation um there are issues that I have with them now but mm -hmm. same <laughs> with mine <laughs> but, yeah but I tell them like it's your fault like you're the right. one who had to question things and now I'm like y'all need to get your shit together because yeah. I also like that would not have been a safe place for me to come out either you know like, right they were um oh yeah and like Tyndale if you if anyone listening to this is at Tyndale do not come out because it's not a safe oh, place there like it's oh, we had so we had an RA who was openly gay and they were they knew he was gay um and they were fine with him serving for like three years and then the Newfoundland Pentecostals got a word of it that there was a gay RA and suddenly he was unceremoniously fired um and like I'm just like it was okay until the Pentecostals called you out. How does that work? <laughs> like, oh yeah. So, so mad. yeah. Um, a lot of people were yeah, really mad about that. Um, social justice. How does, um, how you mentioned it a little bit and that you've got a social work background. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what does the church need to start doing? And what does the church need to stop doing to, to actually live into the call of Jesus to to love our neighbors in the social justice way. Ooh, such a such a small question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of ways to answer that. Um, I um, let me see which angle do I want to take this. First of all, the first thing that comes to mind is when it comes to social justice and the church, we have to, we have a certain level of arrogance, I think, mm. to think that the church has all of the answers. And I yes. think because the church is always behind, <laughs> always. And complicit in so much atrocity. Complicit <laughs> in so much of the harm that social justice is trying to remove. Right. Um, we really need to be as humble as possible. And sometimes that means like decentering ourselves and decentering our teachings and even decentering our scriptures um, as part of the conversation. I do mm -hmm. think there are helpful ways to use scripture to talk about social justice. There are a plethora of um, 
of preaching materials that can be helpful. But I think we just think that if we're going to do something, we have to be leading it. And I, and I think right. that a lot of what I have gotten from social justice is by listening to people who are on the ground, maybe mm-hmm. not in the church, maybe they are, maybe they are spiritual, but not religious, like people who are doing organizing have been doing it for a really long time. People who live in the communities and share the identities that we say we care about, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of our work has to be listening. Um, yes. I yeah. think a lot of it has to be, um, ha- has to be just, yeah, staying quiet for like three seconds <laughs> and, <laughs> and letting, and letting people tell us what they need, you know, and, yeah. and and also like what they've always been saying, you know, I yes. don't know one marginalized identity. I can't think of one that hasn't been speaking for a very long time. Right. Um, and so that's why I struggle with some of these tropes of like, um, you know, the people without a voice, because I'm like, they've been talking for a long time. No one has been listening to them. And if the culture hasn't been listening to them, the church has definitely not been listening. We've been like 50 years behind everyone else maybe a hundred, maybe hundreds. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they've been speaking the whole time. And, and I think that some of it, like I said, is, is about decentering ourselves and, and about yeah. joining in once we have listened, joining in with the work that's already being done, not trying to reinvent the wheel in a Christian way. Um, right. you know, I think our presence is important. I think when I think of different movements, um, I think having a clergy color is really powerful in some of these things, but yeah. I, but I think it's about um, our presence more so than like us being the ones in charge. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, because we we talk about how like Christians need to be involved in social justice, and then we take that as Christians need to be in charge of social justice. I'm like, no, we've done a bad job. We we. No. <laughs> we, we 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 we've lost that like let let the people who are doing it do it and yeah like you were saying like just like just shut up and learn um and and not getting offended like the thing um i'm i'm trying to hammer into people who look like me's heads is like don't get offended when people call out your bullshit mm-hmm. uh you might think you might be doing so much more than you've ever done. And that might be baseline. That yep. might be bare fucking minimum for, for what needs to start happening. And if people point that out, that might be hurtful. You need to be able to be hurt and move on. Like you need to just not take it personally. They don't owe you any favors for you not actively oppressing them anymore (laughs) right 100 percent. and i mean i do think social justice is the what we need to replace mission with um because we have obviously colonized the whole world um but i think that social justice really is going to be our way forward and has to be done in the strategic way that we're, we're talking about um i honestly as, as someone moving into pastoral ministry full-time, I, I can say that my number one goal when it comes to reckoning with the church's harm and the church's way forward is that our goal needs to be repair. Mm. That is our goal. Like our goal yeah. is not to speak over 
or to prove ourselves or anything else, like anything that's happening in the social justice realm, like we have been at the forefront of the harm. Like you wanna, you wanna lead a conversation on patriarchy and, and racism and homophobia. Like who has been the parent of that through all of history? Yeah. Like, and yeah. so I think that, I think that our goal is, is to repair and to help rebuild trust um, and to help give a different story to what church can be. Um, I think that um, our sacred text does have tools in it, like I said before, of, mm-hmm. of, of who we're supposed to be listening to and how we're supposed to be championing, um, you know, the rights of the poor and the rights of the oppressed. Um, there's lots of threads throughout scripture that those are the people that God, you know, God is on their side. Um, And at the same time, you know, really coupled with this deep humility of like, I know that whenever people like me have been at the table, it's been harmful. Right. Um, And so, yeah, I just, (sighs) being quiet, listening I think is the first step I think the second step is like you said um accountability allowing ourselves to be connected corrected Mm -hmm. allowing ourselves to not be offended by every single thing um letting go of this like dichotomy between church and world this secular and sacred divide it doesn't exist (laughs) yeah um and like, yeah, seeing the work that's happening is a part of God's work, regardless of whether or not it has a Jesus label on it. Like right. God yeah. is moving humanity in certain directions. Well, and, and like, <laughs> and, and like, that's, that's sort of Matthew seven in a nutshell, right? It's like, there will be people who will come before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and, and, and do all this? And he'll say, go away from me. I never knew you. And he'll go to these other people and be like uh hey come on in and they'll be like why and like, well <laughs> when i was naked and you clothed me and i was hungry and you fed me and i was in prison and you visited me and they're like when do we do all that and it's like yeah. we do that for anyway and like it's people that didn't know like it, it like they didn't know who jesus was in this parable in this example um yeah. and and so like the idea that it has to be the church when like our posture of repentance should be a moving in the other direction like we a reversal of how things have traditionally been because traditionally the way we've been moving forward is is bad <laughs> very very bad yes yeah I, I agree with that and um yeah I, I i just i feel really passionate about that that's sort of the orientation that i have towards my work and um yeah, I mean, I think once we listen, once we take a step back, um, you know, I think we can be involved in a number of ways. I think we need to be at protests and marches, and I think we need to be talking to um, our senators and, and talking to folks in power. We need to be challenging those things whenever they, whenever systems of oppression show up. Um, mm-hmm. And and our and our presence, like I said, is very important. It needs to be known that that um the people of faith are are also upset about these things right um that's part of the repair um 
But yeah, there's a number of things that we need to do. Um, I think we also sometimes get, we turn justice into a self-righteous thing and where we think we're doing more than we are. Or I know like one of the tweets that you interacted with was when I was talking about the performance um, of even many progressive Christians where it's like the bar is so low. Or like what change is and like what social justice is mm-hmm. that like we forgot like that this is actually about like solidarity and like letting communities define for themselves what they need mm-hmm. rather than just you know putting like a we put a rainbow on it it's fine we put a right. you know BLM on it it's fine you know and just that's like the bare minimum you know <laughs> yeah yeah uh, absolutely and and yeah i think i think that's enormous like to go to go back to what you just said like letting the communities define how they need to be helped um and like and in what capacity and how much um because like a grieving community might not want like like so for instance like in canada recently we found like the Canadian, the Canadian government and the church have a horrible history in Canada and how we treated um, first nations and indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the residential schools were an absolute crap show. Um, and so recently they found 215 um, bodies of children underneath the residential school. Hey friends, a quick interjection here. Like I said in the introduction, this episode was recorded several months ago, just after the first discovery of Indigenous children under the residential schools. We have, as a nation, continued to find the bodies of murdered Indigenous children at the sites of the residential schools. The current estimate is somewhere between uh, uh, 3,200 and over 6,000 bodies of indigenous children who were killed and buried during their time at the residential schools. The residential school system was a shit show and was an intentional, cultural, and actual genocide. We should be pissed off about this. Uh, It was ruled by the Canadian Superior Courts to be a genocide, but as of yet, I do not believe the actual Canadian government has declared or admitted it a genocide or even admitted any actual wrongdoing. And the Canadian government continues to abuse Indigenous communities. Recently, the RCMP invaded the Wet'suwet'en land uh, in their service to the oil companies seeking to build a pipeline there. Wet'suwet'en was never ceded to the Canadian government. It is sovereign indigenous land and the Canadian government has no claim on it. Not that that would make their actions any more acceptable if they did have a claim on it, because that claim would still be illegitimate based on genocide. Um, But anyway, we need to be listening to indigenous voices and we need to be holding our government accountable. Okay, um, so write to someone, be mad about this. Um, Don't let the government continue the cultural genocide of the indigenous peoples. Okay, back to the show. And A, there's a lot of people being like, well, I am shocked. And I'm like, if you're shocked, you haven't been listening. Because <laughs> like, the, the indigenous people have been talking about this for years. Uh, right. But also, like, like, I don't know that they would want the church 
involved in helping through the grieving process right now because the church was the perpetrator it would be like your abuser coming to like give you a hug like it's like it's really icky and so like what we can do is that repentance and like which is not happening either like the pope tweeted some abominable things recently like just like like this is shocking news i'm like it you did it <laughs> like, like you didn't do it but like your church did like this what do you mean this is shocking news this is like yeah and uh yeah yeah and sort of like i'm sorry if people were offended kind of like apologies like instead of like actually apologizing for harm done like it was just like i'm like we just need to own it we just need to own that we've done horrible monstrous things and scarred communities for generations uh and they will be scarred for generations to come and we need to start to fix it by yeah shutting up and by apologizing and shutting up and letting them define how they want us to like make reparations and 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 seek forgiveness like for sure yeah uh that's true and i mean yeah i mean that happens here too you know um it's always this like this sense of shock or this sense of like we know what's best for you you know Um, both are equally horrible in my opinion Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's just um yeah I mean, I know one thing that has been like a huge thing just in the last couple of days is like the Juneteenth right. um, debate. And I mean, this is not like specific to the church necessarily, but obviously the church has a big hand in the legacy of slavery. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just the the frustration that a lot of like people I know and myself too have with this like oh we've made all of this progress like this is a holiday now and it's like okay but like y'all actually aren't listening to us because like what we said was reparations (laughs) yeah what like we want these things to be taught in our schools while y'all are taking like critical race theory out of schools while we like still are in the neighborhoods we're in while we still you know have not dealt with the policing issue which everyone performed like recklessly last year all into this year Mm -hmm. about changing we still have not done anything to our policing system like things that black people have literally said like this is what we want. This is what we need. This is what's hurting yeah. us. And we are putting our finger on that exact thing. And y'all are like, okay, so anyways, um, everyone, including non-Black people, have the day off. And it's right. just like... Right. <laughs> um, we still won't pass a 100-year-old bill saying we won't lynch you, but you can yeah. have a barbecue on this day. Like, it, yeah. yeah. And I just... Yeah, it's stuff like that where I'm like churches and other people who say they're allies are notorious at this kind of thing Mm -hmm. it's like it's so clear when you actually aren't listening when you actually haven't done the reading right um (laughs) where you didn't understand the assignment and like that was for you like this was something for you to feel like you did something yeah 
feel like you made progress yeah and the it's reality the, the pat is, on the back of exactly a pat on the back and the reality is that like I think that what it will actually do is it's just gonna put more black people you know in an awkward situation especially black people who are service workers who are still working on that day mm-hmm. working for white people who are off like what right. sense does that make right Like, it just, it is something that is so clearly just a symbol. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's not a horrible symbol. It just, it wasn't a sign of listening. Right. Um, Well, it's, it's, it's kind of like, like the rainbow capitalist thing. Like I tweeted about it the other day. And I was like, if you're, if your logo, if your company throws a rainbow on their logo during pride, but you don't have uh, gender affirming healthcare benefits for your employees or mental health benefits for your employees or clear HR policies that don't like that keep them from experiencing homophobia and transphobia then you're not an ally and you should take the thing out so like if you if if your government is is doing performative holidays but still not doing something about the policing crisis like it's it's not it's not you're they're not actually doing anything and they're just profiting off of because the, I'm sure I'm sure there's tons of white people who are like oh good they did a thing for them and that's enough and like and then and then we'll be taken to like why are we still talking about reparations we gave you we gave exactly. you the 18th off right yeah like exactly and I mean the, th- the funny thing about America is like we don't have to make up these scenarios about right. like how this is going to become because we've done it before and we know like yeah. we can easily point to like what happened when we made MLK day a holiday right. <laughs> like that was the right. last holiday that like was like a federal holiday and people don't give a shit about it so like right. people do not use that time to like reflect or think about what MLK you know stood for instead mm-hmm. they like whitewash him and quote the parts of his message that they like um instead of talking about how he was like actually a socialist who like understood the purpose of riots and like you know was against capitalism and war and all these things but like no one wants to talk about that I'm okay right and it's just like and then people just don't think about it they like volunteer or something like it's usually like a bunch of white people that get into a bus and they go into an all-black neighborhood and they clean some trash on MLK Day and they feel good. And it's like, you don't have to make up scenarios. Like we've done this yeah. before. I know exactly what this day is gonna become. Right. right. <laughs> um, and like a chance for us all to have more cookouts. Like right. while black people clean up after it. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. So yeah, I think, yeah, like, these are the kind of conversations that like the church needs to be in the room for um, because we, yeah, we, if anything, maybe like this generation of, of faith leaders and, and people of faith can, can be better listeners. Um, right. Like when it comes to like our involvement in these movements, like maybe our posture can be different after we've screamed yeah. for, <laughs> for so long. Here's hoping. Well, you are going to be an amazing pastor. Um, oh. I already know that because this has been a wonderfully inspiring conversation and very oh. encouraging. And if you bring 
this fervor and to the pulpit and to your pastoral work, then you're just going to be amazing. So thank you. I'm excited to see what you're able to do. Uh, thank you so much for talking with me today. We're, you know, we're just under an hour now. So Um, yeah, this has been great. So, um, Oh, uh, do you want to plug any, any pluggables, any, uh, social medias, any, uh, events, this will come out in the last, last Monday of July, whatever okay. that is. That's, I think the okay. 21st, something like that. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, people can follow me on Twitter. Um, Brooke underscore Scott 95. Um, and my Instagram is Brooke underscore Alexandria with an I six thirty. Um, so those are where people can find me and yeah, I've been, while I'm like, you know, searching for a call, I've been doing things like this. So if you want to follow me and see what I'm up to, then we can do that and have some conversation. Nice. And I fully recommend it. She's a great follow. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Okay. Thanks again. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. We did it. Congratulations. That's our episode for today. A big thanks to Brooke Scott for having this conversation with me and apologies again for it taking six months to put this episode out. I'm going to have Brooke back real soon, I hope. Um, if you want to follow Reverend Brooke, you can find her on Twitter at Brooke underscore Scott 95 and on Instagram at Brooke underscore Alexandria 630. You can find uh, Church on Main at Church on Main DE on Twitter and Church on Main on the interwebs you can find me on tiktok and instagram at rev jeff the artist and rev jeff art on twitter you can find my church chosen family church on instagram at chosen family church underscore and and online in general at chosenfamilychurch.com and you can find this podcast and my other projects at the until next time remember that you are the divine image of god the chosen vessel for the holy spirit and the way god interacts with creation and so are the people you hate Love ya.